You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. Jesus tells a story and says there's a guy that built his house on the rock. There's a guy who built his house on the sand. A storm comes, the waves come, the wind comes. One guy is happy because his house stands. The other guy's not happy because his life collapses. And as we build towards happiness, one of the things we have to do is hear what Jesus says and do what Jesus says. Because what Jesus tells us, we don't get any credit for just listening, that the power's in the application. So I want to see God clearly, get a big, clear picture of who he is. I want to hear what Jesus says, and I hope through the power of the Holy Spirit we'll leave here doing what he says. And then by God's grace, here's what I really hope for every single one of us. This is my hope and my prayer, is that by God's grace, we would experience his presence and his power and his provision in our lives. So we're just going to start right at the beginning, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Now, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus is teaching on a mount, on the side of a mount, and he's teaching to people who follow him, people who love him as disciples. There's also other people there. And if you remember, Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount by basically asking the question, who wants to be happy? And he says, blessed be, blessed are, blessed are those, blessed are the people. And then he continues, and he talks about all kinds of stuff. He talks about marriage. He talks about forgiveness. And then he gets to this topic, and we have, this is so relevant to our lives. Jesus knows us so well, and he says this. He says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, I think we, we have to see a couple things where Jesus is leading us. The first one is this, is Jesus is talking to his first listeners, just like he's talking to us today. And he says, if we belong to him, if we people who have been saved by Jesus, there will be things in our lives that we do that are motivated by Jesus that reveal to the world that we belong to him, that we've been saved by him. Jesus uses the word practicing your righteousness. And Jesus doesn't just assume this. He's saying, listen, do it. When? When you practice your righteousness, be careful. And he presents this really big idea to us. And he says, listen, God sees what you do and there is a reward. That when you do the things that God has commanded you to do, when you do them for his glory, empowered by his spirit, there's this reward thing that's happened. Let's keep going. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. He says, thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their, there's that word again, reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I think this is fascinating. Jesus is, is speaking. He says, listen, there's some things that there should be, some habits, there should be some practices in our lives. And the first thing he, the first thing he brings up is giving. Like the first thing he says is he goes, listen, when, when you are handling your personal finances, there should be some area within your budget where you have money that you would be generous with. There would be money that you give. In this case, he says that you would give to needy people. Now, Jesus' instructions aren't like, just in case, or if you're ever in this awkward situation. He's like, hey, when you. Now, one of the, the people that Jesus is targeting in this t- teaching 
is religious people, primarily the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And see, what would happen is you would go to the temple, and, and the temple in Jerusalem had different walls and different gates and different areas, and people who were, were at need would, would go and camp out because there were only certain gates you could go through to get to the temple. And so they would camp out there asking, hey, on your way to the temple, on your way to worship, would you maybe help take care of me? And what Jesus says is the Pharisees and the Sadducees tend to when they give, they don't give because they want to honor the Lord. They don't necessarily give out of worship. They don't necessarily give to really benefit that person. What they give for is the applause they get from people. You kind of get this idea that they make a big deal about reaching in their pocket. They kind of hold up the money and like want people to see that they're giving it. And what Jesus says is they've received their reward. Is that when people see what they've done, when they get the applause of man, that's a reward. He says, however, there's another way to do it. That if you do it in a way that you go, hey, I don't really care what y'all think about me. I don't really care what the people around me, I'm doing this because I'm motivated by Jesus. I'm motivated by God. I'm motivated by him and what he's done in my life. That I'm not doing it for the applause of men, that I'm doing it for my heavenly father. And he says, in that context, there is a reward. Now, here's where we have to be careful. Jesus is not saying that if you give, you will end up with a Ferrari. He's not saying that if you give, you will end up with a bigger, nicer home. He's not saying that if you give, your 401k will turn into an 802k, okay? He's not promising any of that. Here's the big idea. This is what I think Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is saying is that when we put him first, when we make Jesus a priority in our lives, our Father in heaven will take care of us, provide for us, and reward us. In fact, I would suggest to you that the reward we get is that as an act of worship, when we hear what Jesus says, when we do what Jesus says, what we end up getting in our, in our lives is God. And then what happens is, is God shows up in our lives and we experience his presence, we experience his power, and we experience his provision. Now, Jesus isn't done yet. He keeps going. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Now, he talks about finances, and don't miss this. What Jesus says is the way we handle our finances and the way we pray are tied together. These are not separate issues. One is not sacred, and one is secular. Jesus said they're both spiritual. They both matter. They're both issues of the heart. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, I love that Jesus says truly because he always tells the truth. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward in full. Have you ever met somebody like this? And if you're here, I don't mean to offend you. I'm sorry, but stop. But like, have you ever met the person that like has to say Jesus or Lord God between, like 25 times between every word? It's like, dear Lord God, we come before you, Lord God, Lord God, in the presence of the Lord God, heavenly Father. And you're like, you haven't said anything yet. And Jesus says, you, listen, it's not about being fancy. Like you don't have to go old English. You don't have to go before God and go, Father, we come before you and beseech you this morning. He goes, no, 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 that's for people. He goes, that's how people around you can hear you and think you're really spiritual and you, and you really have this language. He says, no, when, when you pray for the applause and the entertainment of others, you know what you get? The applause and the entertainment of others. He says, but truly I say to you, they have received their reward. 
But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, here's the thing. I don't think Jesus is saying if you go in and like make a prayer closet in your home, I don't think he's saying that if you go and shut the door in your room and pray that you will get everything that you ask for the way that you ask for it. What Jesus is saying is that when we hear what he says and do what he says, when we're so motivated by the work that he has done, the salvation that he's given us, when we understand that we have a good, good father and we want to seek him, that what we get is him, that we get his presence, his power, and his provision. That when we pray, sometimes God says yes when it's good for us. And sometimes God says no because it's good for us. And sometimes God says maybe or not now because it's good for us. And then Jesus continues. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. This word Gentile, some of your Bible translations might say pagans. It means somebody that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, someone that believes in other things, somebody that believes in false gods or idols or just thinks, hey, I'm an atheist, I don't think there's anything out there. It just means anybody who's not connected to God. So that's what the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. And do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Like here, Jesus gives us this really big idea. And what he says is that you and I have never told our heavenly father something in prayer that he was not already aware of. You have never surprised God in prayer. I have never surprised God in prayer. Like you have never been like, hey God, I can't breathe, need oxygen. And he's like, oh, sorry, I forgot I was playing foosball, oxygen. Right? That's never happened. That God knows exactly what you need, that he's a good, good father, that he knows what you need before you ask him, that he's never surprised, that he's never caught off guard. That when you go before God and you go, hey, God, I'm angry, he's like, yeah, I know. You go, hey, God, I'm worried. He goes, yeah, I know. Hey, God, I'm fearful. Yeah, I know. Hey, God, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I know. You've never told God anything he doesn't already know, which totally breaks down the wall of us thinking that we can pretend or hide or lie to God. And Jesus kind of says, listen, listen, listen. If you have needs, tell him, because he already knows. And you go, well, well, why would God care? Why would he want to know our needs? Because he wants to provide for you. Because he wants to care for you. Because he wants you to experience his presence and his power and his provision. That he's that good of a God. Like the reason we sing that song, that he's a good, good father, is because he is. Like Jesus tells us that we'll never fully understand who God is. Like God is outside of time. He is the creator of all things. He's always existed, always has been, always will be. We'll never fully download who he is. And Jesus says, listen, the best way for you to understand who your heavenly father is is to think of him as a good, good father who loves you, who wants to provide for you, who cares for you, and sometimes even disciplines you. And you got to know that you have a, fa- a heavenly father who loves you, cares for you, and wants to provide for you. And this is why this is so important. Maybe let me frame this up this way. I have had some major computer problems this week, and I have no idea why. 
Like, I have Googled, and not even Google can tell me why I'm having problems. I have wrote this sermon four or five times this week because my computer freezes, shuts off, and everything is erased, even though it's been saved, okay? So either God hated the sermon I was writing, it was spiritual warfare, or Steve Jobs owes me a refund on my Mac. And I'm going to be honest with you, I was freaking out a little bit this week. Because every time I, I was working on the sermon, I'm like saving it in multiple places. I'm like, this is just going to shut down. It's going to be gone. I was freaking out a little bit. And in the middle of preparing for this, I have this idea. In the middle of my own freakout session, I thought to myself, do you think Bill Gates' kids freak out when their computer crashes? No, because they know who their dad is. Bill Gates' kids, their computer crashes, they go, hey, dad, fix this. Get one of your texts to fix it, or I need a new one, right? And the reason I share that with you is because if we understand who God is, if we understand that he is a good, good father who already knows what we need, who desires to provide, who is powerful, then why in the world would we freak out when we have struggles or we need things or we're afraid? If we understand who our father is, then we don't have to freak out. If we understand who our father is, then we don't have to be afraid. If we understand who our Father is, and we shouldn't walk in fear, we should walk in faith. In fact, when we truly understand who our Father is, we can begin to transfer all the energy and all the emotion and all the time we put into worry, into worship. And it'll completely change the way we walk in our lives. And the reason I think this is true is because of what Jesus says next. Let's move down to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. So he's preaching this whole thing about don't worry. He knows, he knows, he knows. Be careful about your motivation because you have a father that will reward you. And then he says this, therefore, based on everything I've already told you, therefore, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Some of you need to hang that in your closet because you tried on more than one outfit this morning before you came to church. He says, be careful. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then Jesus asks us this big clarifying question. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus goes, listen, look at the way that God cares for the birds. Like, like the birds don't have savings accounts. They don't shop at Amazon or Macy's, and they're okay. Now, would you believe for a second that God might love you just a little bit more than a sparrow? Like, would you maybe believe for a second that God cares about you just a little bit more than like a barn swallow? Jesus says, because he does. And I know if you're a big fan of Peter, you hate that, but I'm just delivering the, the mail this morning. Jesus says, aren't you a little more valuable? And here's where this gets tricky, right? Because we look at this and go, well, that's, that's cute, Jesus. Like, thanks for telling me not to be anxious because I'm anxious. And sometimes we make this huge mistake. In fact, we live in a culture that's making this mistake everywhere. And this mistake is we begin to look at the words of Jesus as recommendations or suggestions instead of commands. Like when Jesus says, don't be anxious, it's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. When Jesus says, don't be anxious, it's a command. 
Listen, a sovereign God has never suggested anything. That every time Jesus speaks, it is truth and it is a command. The question is, will we say yes? The question is, will we listen and follow through? Listen, we have to change our vocabulary because we do this all the time and I do it all the time and I'm just going to stop and I'm going to ask you to stop with me because here's what we say. We'll say, well, God asked me. See, as you read through the Bible, I don't ever see God asking anybody anything. What I see is God giving commands. God never made a suggestion. When we say, hey, God asked me, it's like somehow God was dependent on us for that thing to happen. And he's not. He's a sovereign, holy, creator God. Not a suggestion. Jesus says, don't be anxious. It's a commandment. And this is why this is so important. This is why we have to talk about this. This is why we have to fix our eyes on Jesus time and time again. This is why we need community of believers around us, people to spur us on and encourage us. This is why we need all of this. We have to be reminded of the glory and the power and the goodness of God because every single one of us is prone to worry. Every single one of us is prone to be anxious. Every single one of us has had seasons and times in our lives where we laid awake at night thinking, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? What's going to happen? And we were just worried. And then Jesus says this, In which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? He's like, how many of you ever heard that testimony? Where somebody's like, I was, you know, my life was going bad. There was some stuff in my kid's life. There was, my finances were wrecked. There was stuff in the job. And I just stayed up all night and worried myself sick. And today, it is awesome. It's like, you've never heard that before. He's like, worrying has never really accomplished anything in your life. Like, you've never been like, you know what? I have this secret about time management. You know how I get so much done in a day? I just worry 24-7. That's how I accomplish what I accomplish. Because you've never heard that before. It's just because worrying doesn't actually lead to anything positive in your life. Worrying doesn't actually ever translate to things getting better, getting done, or being overcome. And he keeps going. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil or spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? Jesus goes, hey, quick question. Do you think for maybe just a second your heavenly father values you more than those wildflowers that grow on the side of the road? Do you think that? Like, do you think that he might care for you? Do you think that he might want to provide for you in the same way he provides for them? And then he kind of throws in that zinger, O you of little faith. It's like, hey, if you doubt that, then it's because you're just struggling in that area of faith. You need to, you need to see who he is. You, you need to know that, that God loves you, that he's your father, that he cares for you, that he wants you to experience his presence in your life, his power in your life, his provision in your life. Verse 31, therefore. Now, every time you see the word therefore in Scripture, you have to ask, what is it therefore? And Jesus is referring back to everything he's already said. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And Jesus says, hey, for for those of you that have been saved by me, for those of you that follow me, for those of you that are kind of leaning in, listening, he goes, listen, 
Worrying isn't your business. Worrying and being anxious isn't something that should mark your lives. That's what people who don't know him. That's who people who aren't under the authority of the Father. Those are those who aren't in the family. Like, that's their business. That's their job. Your life is not meant to be marked by worry and anxiety about things like, what shall we eat? And where shall we sleep? And what should we wear? And how do I look today? Because your Heavenly Father knows that you need all those things. And He wants to provide for them. Not maybe how you want, but how He wants. See, the reason we have to get this before we go any further is because we have to get, we have to see clearly that God is a God who provides for his children. We have to know that we know that we know that God is a God who provides for his children. That our Heavenly Father is bigger than your need. Our Heavenly Father is bigger than our economy. Our Heavenly Father is bigger than who is in the White House. Our Heavenly Father is bigger than your anxiety and the things that you're worried about. Our Heavenly Father knows what you already need and he wants to provide for them. And Jesus goes, here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity to move from worry to worship. Here's an opportunity to take all the time, all the energy, all the emotion, all the nail biting, all the pacing, and to move that into something that would be better worship. And then he tells us how. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus, why would you rob today of its promise when you worry about the problems of tomorrow? It's like, just stop. Don't be anxious, but seek the kingdom of God. Seek the presence of God. Seek the power of God. Petition God for your needs. Go before him. It's like that song that we sang earlier, saying, God, of all the places I could be and of all the things I could worry about and of all the things I could be anxious about, I fix my eyes on you. And God, what I want more than anything is to be in your presence. God, what I want more than anything is would you set a fire in my soul for you, God? I seek you. I'm not seeking the finances. I'm not seeking the best clothes. God, I'm not seeking all that stuff because here's what I believe. You'll just provide for that anyway. You're the giver of all things. If you spoke this into creation, then I understand and believe that you could provide me with the clothes I need, the food I need, that you would take care of me. Listen, if Jesus can keep the earth from rotating off its axis, could it be that he could still provide for you and for me and the needs that we have? And Jesus kind of says, lean in, lean in, listen, listen, listen. Why are you worrying? He goes, but those who seek the kingdom, all those things are provided for them anyway. And I love this. I heard this this week. This isn't even the note, so this is free. Somebody said, the best thing that we could do as believers is we should live like every word in the Bible is true and that God absolutely loves us. Like that just motivated me. It's like the best way we could live is like every word in the Bible is true and God absolutely loves us. And I'm like, you know what? I claim that. Like that, that's me. Like I'm just going to believe this is all true and he loves me. It's all true and he loves me. I'm just going to put everything through that context. Now this is why this is so important. Because then in the same passage of scripture, Jesus addresses one of the greatest areas of worry, concern, and anxiety in our lives. And if we're completely honest, it's money. 
It's finances. Like from time to time, I get to do marriage counseling. I love doing marriage counseling. We talk about all kinds of things in marriage counseling, and it's all stuff that nobody wants to talk about, including me. But the most interesting session in every single marriage counseling sessions I've had is the one on money. Like you would think it would be the other one, like the wedding night one, but it's not. It's the money one. And we talk about money, and you know, what, you know what happens? You know why money is so tricky? You know why it really messes with us? It's because finances has, is so close to our heart. There's a deep relationship between our heart and our finances. And see, what's interesting is there's some things in life, there's some struggles in life, there's some problems in life that just get better as you get older. But there's just some things that as, as we mature and as we get some wisdom and experience in life, like, like there's probably stuff that you, you like did in high school or maybe even college that you don't do anymore because you just look back and go, that was so dumb. Why did I do that? I don't do that anymore. Uh, there's some things that when you were younger that you worried about that you don't worry about anymore. I used to worry that I didn't even have hair. I just don't care anymore. Now I just grow it on my face and it's awesome. Now here's what I would tell you. In my experience, this is my experience, finances is not one of those things that goes away as you get older. In my experience, it gets worse. And it's just my experience. I didn't say Jesus said that, Adam said that. And here, here's my experience, right? When I was a single guy, all I had to worry about was me, okay? Ramen noodles and the dollar menu. That's all I needed to worry about. Like, could, could I take care of myself? Could I put gas in my car? Could I pay my rent? And could I just get by with me? And then I got married, and all of a sudden it was, is there enough finances for the both of us? And like insurance for the both of us? And, and can I, like she might not want to eat ramen noodles every night. So like we might have to up the game a little bit. And then we had kids, and we had two kids. And so now it's not just two of us, it's four of us. And like my dream of living in a trailer and just a little bit of a land, that, that went away because she didn't want that. Neither did the kids. And all of a sudden, as you get older, it's stuff like savings, retirement, college funds, and I'm just starting to freak out thinking about it. Like, listen, as I've gotten older, one of the things I love, and I love it, is like the day I pay my bills. Because I'm like, the lights are on, the gas is on, we can stay in the house another month, and like nobody, I don't owe anybody anymore, I'm done. Because it's something that we worry about. And this is where this gets a little bit tricky for every single one of us. There is a relationship between our level of happiness and our finances. Okay, there is. If anybody tells you they're not, they're lying to you. There is a direct relationship between your happiness and your money. The problem is what most of us assume is the relationship between our happiness and our money is more. Like most of us go, hey, I would just be happier if I had more money. Like if the bank account was bigger, if the savings account was bigger, if the 401k was bigger, then I would be happy. That we all think more money would equal more happiness. And see, and see people, if you grew up around church, maybe you heard somebody say this, would say, money doesn't make you happy. And like you nod your head and you go, yeah, that's true. And then at the same time, you think, but I'd like to find out, is there a program I can sign up for? Like, would you give me more money, and I'll see if it makes me more happy? Like, I'd sign up for that program. Like, you give me a few million, come back to me in a couple years, and I'll let you know my level 
of happiness. Because listen, we all know, right? If somebody showed up with a briefcase with more money to give to you, we all have a list of things we would go do. Some of you would upgrade your home, some of you upgrade your car, some of you go on vacation, some of you would pay off debt, some of you would just do things that you couldn't do today if you got more money. We all have a list, but here's the thing. The connection between our happiness and our money isn't more. And here's how you know that's true. Because you can't answer this question, how much more money would make you happy? How much more? million dollars, $5 million, $100 million. See, we can't actually put a number to that because we just think, well, if I got that, you know what I would want? More. But there is a relationship between our happiness and our money, and it's not more. It's management. It's not more. It's how we manage our money. Now watch this. Jesus in this middle of this big idea of if we put Jesus first, our Heavenly Father will take care of us by providing us with his presence, his power, and his provision. Jesus says this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, no one, no one, that includes you and me, no one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, here's the thing. I think as Jesus taught for this for the very first time, like everybody in the crowd got whiplash because all those taking notes heard what he said and they looked up like, what do you mean? Because come on, you don't expect Jesus to say money. You expect Jesus to say you can't serve God and Satan. You can't serve God and evil. You can't serve God and sin. But he says, no, no, you can't serve God and money. Now, here's what I would tell you. The word money is actually a really bad translation, but it's as close as we got. In fact, for some of you, if you have older translations of the Bible, if you go like New King James, that kind of stuff, the word you see in those Bibles is is mammon. And and the reason it uses the word mammon is because the word money here really means this, the stuff you have, the stuff you want, the finances you have to get it, and the finances you don't have to get it. The word mammon really means all the stuff you desire, all the stuff that you want, all the the stuff that you do possess, you hope to possess, and your pursuit of the finances to get the stuff that you want that you don't have. It's this really big idea. And what Jesus says to you and to me is that the chief competitor for your heart, the chief competitor for my heart, the chief competitor for our devotion is our desire for stuff, the stuff that we have, the money that we have, and our desire for more. That Jesus says when it comes to our worship, when it comes to our hearts, our greatest competitor is more. It's the desire. So we look at this and we go, well, listen, listen, listen. I don't have a master. I don't serve this stuff. Like, no one's in charge of me. And then you remember that you have to make a tax appointment or you are in big trouble. If you don't pay your real estate taxes, they come after you. We go, listen, well, I don't, I don't know if I serve. Like, listen, I don't know if I love this stuff. And Jesus goes, listen, listen, listen. Jesus defines what it means to serve and love our stuff. I want you to see this. We read over this so fast. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. 
Jesus goes, listen, this is how you know how you feel about your stuff, your money, the stuff that you don't have, the stuff that you want, the money that you have, the money you don't have. He goes, have you ever been devoted to your stuff? Have you ever had your eye on? Have you ever been in the quest for a new possession? Have you ever made all your decisions based on what you have, what you want, and what you don't have? And he goes, if you have, then what you've began to experience is there's a tension in your heart between being devoted to your stuff and being devoted to your heavenly father. Now watch this, because you're still not convinced. Three questions. Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something? Have you ever wanted something so bad that you went and did something about it? Well, the answer for all of us is yeah. That's why we have jobs. I work because I want to get paid, and I get paid because I want stuff. Next question. Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something stupid? Well, yeah. You've all been at the grocery store and bought one of those things they have next to the cash register, and you thought, why did I buy that? Every single one of us on some level have experienced buyer's remorse. It looked really great, and then you got home, and you're like, "Eh, I don't know why I did this. Some of us have gone into debt to buy things, and we're still paying for things, but we don't own them anymore. See, your desire for something cause something to happen in your life. Last one, number three, has your desire for something ever caused you to do something that you regret? Have you ever wanted something so bad that you did it and then you thought, I shouldn't have done that. I should have never bought that. I should have never swiped the card. I should have never given the cash. I should have never taken that thing. Like, has your desire for something ever caused you to do something you regret? And here's what Jesus reveals to us. Our devotion for equals devotion to. Our devotion for things equals our devotion to things. Our desire, how much do you want that? How much is your eye on that thing? How badly, how eager are you if you're like, oh, I just got to get it? Well, that desire for equals devotion to. See, in those moments when you wanted something so badly that you did something about it, In those moments where you wanted something so greatly that you did something stupid or something that you regret, here's what Jesus reveals to us, is you were no longer in control. Your desire for those things ruled over you. That you had a master and it wasn't you. You weren't in control. Your desire for was in control of your decision-making, your finances, and what you did. And your desire for things equals devotion to. And the chief competitor for your heart and the chief competitor for my heart is our desire to acquire, obtain, and get. Hey, and listen, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but I want to give you kind of three indicators if your money controls you and you don't control your money. Uh, three signs that your money's in control. The first one is this, is discontentment. When your money's in control, you're never, ever satisfied. You begin to focus on what you don't have rather than what you do have. You're so overwhelmed that you have an iPhone 6 and not an iPhone 7, and that's a problem for you. That you become so concerned about, hey, somebody has something nicer than me, and I think I deserve, or I think I should have. Like when our money is our master, we are never, ever happy. And isn't it strange that there's something about our hearts that we can, there's stuff that could exist that we don't even know it exists. 
And then we discover that it exists, and within 10 seconds we go, I have to have that. You're like, well, 10 seconds ago you didn't even know it existed. What is that? Discontentment. I, I have to have, I have to get, I have to possess, I have to own. The next one is greed. When money is our master, we believe that everything that God puts in our hand is for us. So everything that passes my bank account is to be spent on me, on my desires and my wants. There's no room for generosity. There's no room for giving. There's no room for honoring God because it's my money. It's about me and it all belongs to me. It's for me and my desires. That's greed. Last one is debt. When money is our master, we do this awesome thing where we spend money that we don't have. And like, there's this idea in finances where you go, hey, you don't spend what you don't have. And we're like, that's so 17th century. Like I have, a, I, I, can get, I can get a friend of mine to pay for it and his last name's Card, MasterCard, Visa Card, Discover Card. And they'll let me spend all kinds of money I don't have and it's broken down into you know, little payments. It's awesome. Until you discover that you become a slave. See, when you want something, that's just between you and God. When you desire something, that's just between you and God. When you go into debt, it's no longer between you and God. Now that desire is between you and a, and, and a master. It's between you and the person you owe the money to. And here's the thing, because I did the study, and you can go home and do the study. Do you know that when we owe people money, God signs, he sides with the person we owe money to? Like he's not on our side, he's on their side. That he says, if you're a believer, we need to pay our debts that God expects us to honor our word, and so if we borrow, we are to pay back a citizen of heaven. So just don't go into debt. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Super Bowl Sunday's coming up. I don't care who wins, okay? I'm just being honest with you. I don't care. I'm a Bears fan, so there hasn't been a Super Bowl since 1985, in my opinion, and there won't be another one until the Bears win, which could be never, okay? But uh, I had to look. I had to look just to, be, just to make sure I'm right. So Super Bowl Sunday... Falcons and the Patriots. I honestly don't care who wins, although I would like to see the Falcons beat the Patriots because I just don't like the Patriots. That's it. So that, that's my deal. Either way, I'll eat nachos and snacks and laugh at people. So that's what's going to happen. Now, here's the thing. This is a pop quiz. This is a pop quiz. There's two teams in the Super Bowl. How many teams walk out of the stadium happy? Come on, there's only two. One, the winner. Right? Nobody walks out and they're like, woohoo, second place in the Super Bowl. You can't even buy shirts that say second place in the Super Bowl. Like, they, like nobody does that. Nobody's like going to go home on a parade and be like, there were two of us and we didn't win. Nobody does that. Like, listen, like, like when it comes to competitive sports, like winning matters. The scoreboard matters. The person who takes second place in the Super Bowl doesn't get any awards. All right? They throw confetti and parties and parades for the winner. Here's why I tell you this. Jesus desires to be number one in your life. Jesus did not leave heaven, come to this earth, die on a cross, and rise on the third day so he could be on your top ten list or my top ten list. Jesus desires to be number one in your life and my life. And see, the question that Jesus asks every single one of us is in your list of desires, wants, and priorities, where does Jesus rank? And then he cuts us to the heart and realizes he doesn't want to be in any other place but number one. See, when Jesus 
desires to be the Lord and Savior, when he wants to be the Lord of our lives, what it means that every other desire, every other priority, every other thing is below him in order that he is number one. And the reason that Jesus wants to be number one is because of this. Number one, because he wants what's best for us. Jesus wants better things for you and Jesus wants better things for me than you want for yourself and I want for ourselves. And he knows that the only way we're going to get the best if he's in control, if he's in charge, and if he's the master of our life. Jesus also knows that if he is not first in your life and my life, then eventually everything in our lives will begin to fall apart. A friend of mine says it this way, if Jesus is not Lord of all, Eventually, he will not be Lord at all. If Jesus is not Lord of all, eventually, he will not be Lord of all. And Paul says these really terrifying words to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Like Paul goes, hey, I just want you to know, I've seen this play out. This isn't a thesis. This isn't an idea. Paul goes, I know people who claim to love Jesus, and what happened in their lives is they took their eyes off of him. They took their eyes off the goodness and the glory and the power and the sovereignty of God. They forgot that their heavenly father is a good, good father who wants to provide through them, through his presence, his power, his provision. And you know what happened is Jesus went from number one to number two to number three to number four to number five to number six and so on and so forth. And you know what happened? They destroyed their lives because they desired more, more stuff, more money, more finance. The chief competitor for our hearts is the devotion for our stuff, the stuff we have, the stuff we want, the money we have, the money we have. And here's what Jesus says. There's a better way. There's a better way that actually would give God glory. There's a better way that would actually move us from worry to worship. There's actually a way that God could be exalted and glorified in our finances. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What happens in our lives is we tend to go, yeah, but if I had more, if I wasn't in this situation, and and here's the thing. This is 100% true about all of us. When things go bad, we all want God involved in our finances. Like when the bill shows up that we can't pay, that's when we're like, Heavenly Father, please get involved in my finances, right? And here's what Jesus invites us to. He goes, listen, you don't have to wait. You can do it now. You can get him involved now. You can begin to experience his power, his presence, and his provision now. Don't wait for the disaster. Do it now. That there's actually a kingdom mentality when it comes to our money, that there's a way for us to seek first the kingdom in our finances. And this is so simple. It's so simple. You've heard this before. The problem is at some point you'll hear, yeah, but, because we all got big butts. We cannot lie. And what we have to determine is what will we do with those buts? Here it is. This is how we put God first in our money. The first thing we do is give. Listen, it's called the first, it's a principle of the first fruits. So this is what happens. When you get paid, when you get money, you know what you do? You go, hey, money, you don't own me. You're not the boss of me. You don't manage me. I manage you. You want me to show you how I'm going to boss you? I'm just going to give some of you away. 
And all of a sudden, we begin to tell our money, hey, you're not the boss of me. I'm the boss of you. You don't have power over me. I have power over you. You don't tell me where I spend you. I tell you where I spend you, that we just give. Paul says things like God loves a cheerful giver. The scripture says stuff like God expects his people to bring the tithe to the house. Scripture says that that when we honor God in our finances, he actually says, hey, hey, test me in this. Test me in this. See how good I am. That the first thing we can do to honor God is give. That we don't have to wait for the fundraiser. We don't have to wait for the building campaign. Like we don't have to wait for the commercials to come on that break our heart that every time we get paid, every time money comes our way, we go, hey, money, you don't own me. I own you and we give it away. The next thing we do is save. The next thing we do is we go, hey, I'm going to give some of you away and I'm going to set some of you aside. Okay? I'm going to give you away, I'm going to set you aside. I tell people this all the time. Money in the bank always leads to peace of mind. Money in the bank always leads to peace of mind. It's up to you and I how much peace of mind we actually have. And it isn't about more, it's about management. So it's about giving, saving. The last one is live. Then you live off the rest. See, here's this big revolutionary biblical idea. Don't spend money you don't have. Like if you don't spend money you don't have, you know what the Bible calls it? Freedom. That you're free. There's no strings attached. You don't owe anybody. There's no debtors ruling over you that you would be free. And that would actually give us the power that we could actually live in freedom. We go, you know what? I could buy that house, but I'm not going to. Listen, I could drive that if I wanted to. I could lease that just like you leased it. But you know what I would rather have? Joy, peace, and freedom. So I'm not going to buy that house, and I'm not going to buy that car, and I'm not going to get that new pair of shoes or that new purse. And I'm not going to upgrade the phone because it still works. Like, I could, but you know what's better than purchasing? You know what's better than more? Joy and peace and freedom. And here's the thing, because I'll always be as honest with you as I know how to be. I, I might be the person that needs this the most in the room. Like, this message might just be for me. And so you just like it to hang out with me as I preach to myself this morning, okay? But like God called Audrey and I to leave a church that we loved, that like really took care of us, group insurance, great house with a big yard. Like I even had a red convertible Mustang that I bought for my mom and it was awesome. I miss those days, I'm going to be honest with you. So we left all of that to come plant this church which meant we left the financial freedom, we left the financial security, we sold the house, we sold the car, and we began to raise money like missionaries, which meant we're totally like dependent, like because this church was just an idea. And, and you know what? In some ways, God has shown up in incredible ways, but if I'm being totally transparent with you, I have worried more about money in the last three years than I ever had in my life. But like, I'm like the guy that like, let me check, let me check, let me check. Mm-mm, 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 that is not good enough, okay? Like, I've worried about stuff. And you know what God spoke to me this week? I'm just sharing this with you. Like, this isn't in the notes either, and Audrey's looking at me like, what are you doing? Like, as God just said, hey, come on, come on, come on. Would you just trust me? Like, do you just believe that I am who I am? Like, don't, don't you understand that I, I know what you need? Like, listen, I know you have some wants that you don't need those things, but I know what you need. And if you, come on, if you would just seek me, if you just put me first, I'll give you my presence, give you my power. And listen, I'll provide exactly what you need. Listen, the key to happiness isn't more. It's management. It's not about more. It's not about management. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
if we don't honor God with $100, we kid ourselves if we think we'll honor him with $100,000. Like if we don't honor God with what we have, we'll never honor him with more. Money contributes to your happiness only when you manage it well. Money will lead to despair when it, when it, when it, when it rules over us. And we're a slave to it. And I know this is uncomfortable. If you're new or visiting, thanks for not leaving. If you go here, thanks for not leaving. But listen, 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 listen. Jesus talks about money more than any other subject. More than hell, more than grace, more than the sacraments. He talks about money. And I think the reason Jesus talks about money so much is he knows it is at the biggest threat to ruin us. And it is the biggest competitor for our hearts and our devotion. So listen, the best thing we can do, the best thing we can do, my hope and my prayer for every single one of us this morning is this, that you would see God clearly, that you would hear Jesus' word this morning and you would leave here empowered by the Spirit to do his word. And that in the process of doing, in the process of figuring it out, in the process of creating a budget, in the process of giving, saving, and leaving. Living. I didn't mean leaving. Let me say that again. In the process of giving, saving, and living, that you would begin to experience in ways you've never experienced before. His presence, his power, and his provision. And here's the thing. It would actually make us happy. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.